كثير لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا أكملت تكتب من الله سبحانه وتعالى المستنشمت and then after mentioning the Quraysh in general he went specifically to mention individuals of those who are closest to him وَيَا عَبَّاتِ إِبْنَ عَبْدِ الْمُطَلَقِ لَا أُغْنِي عَنْكَ مِنَ اللَّهِ شَيَا Oh Abbad, his uncle, رضي الله عنه, the son of Abdul Muttalib I cannot suffice you from Allah in any way, in any matter I cannot protect you or help you in any way وَيَا فَقِيَّتُ ويا صفيه عمك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ورضي الله عنها ان او صفيه سي وزعانت ان نسمي الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا اغني عنك من الله شيئا اكنت فيته ان اني ان اني صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى ويا فاطمه بنت محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ورضي الله عنها ان او فاطمه ندوره او محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم سليني من مالي ما شبت لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا أكسني whatever you want from that which I possess from my wealth or property ask whatever you want ما شبت whatever you will whatever you wish ask for me I will give it to you but as for the matter the matters of Allah سبحانه وتعالى يعني the matters of the next life لا أغني عنك من الله شيئا يعني in reference to the matters of Allah I cannot protect you I cannot defend you from the punishment of Allah in any way whatsoever. Whatever of the material things of this world you want, ask me. But of the matters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I have no power, no control whatsoever to help you. Okay, the Shaykh says, resuming this hadith, is that Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, he informed us here that when the thing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was revealed وَأَنْذِرْ أَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَمِينَ and warn your nearest of relatives, clansmen, tribesmen, the people who are closest to you when that was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu he stood up amongst the people and he gave a speech to them he called out to his people to come to him and he asked them to make their intentions purely for Allah and to protect themselves from the punishment of Allah save themselves from the punishment of Allah and that is by ta'ah by obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by worshipping Allah alone establishing tawheed and avoiding shirk this is the only way that one may be saved from the punishment of Allah so then save yourselves purchase yourselves by your soul save yourselves from the punishment of Allah by obedience to Him and He said to them that I am not able to defend you in any way from the punishment of Allah then He began to warn those who were nearest to him one by one mentioning them by name in case anyone may be deceived or fooled and they might rely upon the fact of their nearness or their near relation to him so he made it clear that even those who are nearest to him including Fatima don't be deceived by your nearness to me it will help in no way ask what you want of me of whatever I possess in worldly matters but in the matters of Allah I cannot suffice you in anything. Here the Shaykh mentioned five points that may be derived from this hadith. The first of them is that the Quran is revealed in It is sent down, it is a revelation sent down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the speech of Allah from His characteristics and therefore it is not created. Number two, 
that a person, no one would be benefited by anything except their righteous deeds. And perhaps we should say that they would not be benefited except by Al-Iman, faith and righteous deeds. Al-Iman wa amal al And no one will benefit in any way except by their faith in Allah, Tawheed, and the establishment of good deeds in accordance with the Sunnah of Allah sallallahu The third is that the falsification of relying on one's lineage or relationship, blood relations, and those who think that they are near because they are from the Quraysh or those who are from the uh, lineage, blood lineage of the Prophet وسلم, directly, no one should rely on such. It is false to rely on one's relationship to protect one from the punishment of Allah. But nothing can protect one from the punishment of Allah except righteous deeds, as we said, except al-Iman, the faith, and al-Amal al righteous deeds. Number four, uh, that the people who have no right to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is those, the Ahlu Ta'ahu, Ahlu that means that those who have no right to the Messenger of Allah are those who obey him those who follow his way, and his sunnah, his example, his guidance, and his instruction to worship Allah alone as he did. They have more right to the Messenger of Allah than his near relatives. And those who have more right, it's not based on lineage, it is based on following an example, an iqtibah, following the example of the Prophet Sallallahu And the last point is the permissibility of asking the Prophet Sallallahu whatever he is capable or able to do. And he asking him in his lifetime, for what he is able or capable to do is permissible because he said to his daughter Fatima رضي الله ask me from whatever I possess من مالي من شئتي whatever you will ask me from whatever I possess my wealth or property so it's permissible to ask him from that which he has power over during his lifetime however it's not permissible to ask him that which he is not capable of that which he has more power than those of the affairs exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here the Shaykh says the relationship of this hadith to the chapter under discussion of this hadith indicates that the prophets that they have no power for anyone to give them benefit or harm. So what about those who are less than the prophets? That means those who they call on, whether saints or righteous or angels or whoever, those who are in the grave, dead or alive. If the prophets cannot help anyone, then what about those who are less than them? The relationship of this hadith to the Kitab of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates that seeking benefit or repulsing harm it is of the exclusive actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, seeking that from other than Allah is shirk. And finally, he mentioned a note here that the reconciliation or the combination between this hadith which mentions that the Prophet has no control over the matter and those hadiths which talk about the shata'ah, the intercession of the Muslim of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is that the hadith dealing with the shata'ah indicates that the Prophet sallallahu would intercede he would make his intercession only after the permission from Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after Allah gives him permission to do so and also the uh, river Allah yani, only with the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is pleased with the one who is doing the intercession and that Allah is pleased with those who, who the intercession is sought for 
And that means the Ahl Tawheed, that even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives permission for someone to intercede, and Allah is pleased that they intercede, the intercession will not be accepted if they attempt to intercede for those whom Allah is not pleased with. Therefore, intercession is only for the people of Tawheed. There will be no intercession for the people of Shirk. That is the meaning of the hadith dealing with the shafa, that intercession in the matter of punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the it is only after permission from Allah and that Allah is pleased with the one who intercedes and the one who interceded for. While this hadith and the discussion it means is that the Prophet has negated his power or ability to intercede independently in and of himself. And he doesn't have any power in and of himself to intercede, but the intercession that will be allowed to him is only after the permission of Allah and for those whom Allah is pleased with. And this is the end of volume one of the Shah of Kitab al-Tawheed and Jadid fi Shah Kitab al-Tawheed by Shaykh Abdul Aziz Muhammad Ibn Abdul Aziz Abdul Aziz Al-Qarawi Hafizahullah and we will continue with the new chapters in the next few weeks and perhaps for the next few weeks before we have a summary review and examination How much time is remaining before the event? Okay. The second evidence? Mm-hmm. The benefit? Uh-huh. What is the, the, is the second evidence? The, the second ayah? Uh, or is it the hadith? Uh, the hadith of Ibn Umar. Uh, which point is it, uh, Abdul Halim, number two? He said the lawfulness of what? Okay, actually, the Shaykh says here, Mashru'iyyati al qunud fi salat al fajr lil haja. The meaning of this is that it is legislated in the Sharia. Mashru'iyyati al qunud to make qunud. Qunud, it does, it means, al qunud, it means a supplication. A supplication that one makes in the Salat. And here he mentioned in Salat al-Fajr, as it was mentioned in the Hadith, Lil-Hajjah. That it is legislated in the Sharia to make Qunut in Salat al-Fajr if there is a need. And the Qunut, it is usually at the time of calamity or disaster, uh, or at the time when Muslims have been attacked or harmed by someone, then the Imam of the Muslims or the leader of the Muslims or the Imam in the Salat may make kunut, meaning supplicating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect those Muslims and to help them or to support them or to punish uh, those who yani, cause harm to them. So the, the meaning here is that it's legislated to make the dua of kunut in the Sajjah prayer when there is a need. This is in the Sunnah. Is it clear? Uh, before looking at the question, perhaps we will look at the Messiah, which we have not been having a chance to read from Imam Muhammad al Wahab, the Messiah from this chapter, uh, which are yani, also very, very important. And quickly we try to go through them. The first of them is to see the ayatim and the explanation of those two verses that Muhammad Abu Wahab mentioned, and we discuss their explanations. The second of them is Tifat al-Uhud, the incident or the story of the Battle of Uhud, 
what took place there when the Persians uh, fought with the Muslims and the Prophet Sallallahu was wounded, one of his teeth was broken and his face and he, and he was also wounded in his face until blood flowed from his face and then he supplicated to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala saying, or he mentioned how can the people be saved after they have harmed their Prophet. Uh, and this story shows us that even the Messenger of Allah وسلم, at a time when people had acted in such a way that it wasn't right for him to assume that those people should be punished and that they would not be saved. Therefore, what about other people? And as long as people are alive, perhaps Allah may accept their repentance. Number three, the khulud of the leader of the messengers, Sayyid al-Mursaleen, and behind him was Sadat al-Awliya, yani the best of the awliya of Allah, meaning the companions of the Prophet وسلم, and they were saying Ameen to the supplication of the Prophet وسلم, the khulud of the Prophet وسلم, when he was cursing so-and-so and such-and-such from amongst the leaders of the Quraysh who had fought against the Muslims and opposed uh, Islam and even in spite of that it was the supplication of the Prophet and those who were behind him saying Amin were the companions and still in spite of that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't accept it but Allah accepted their repentance and allowed them to enter Islam and they were saved Number four, uh, that those who were being supplicated against, they were captives, they were disbelievers, though they later became Muslims. Number five, um, that those people whom he was supplicating Allah against, asking the curse of Allah against them, that they had done, done things that most of the captives of all previous nations were from their time had not done similar to what they had done. Yeah, I mean, the way they had posed the Prophet for life and of course harmed him. Shall I just stop for a moment? Uh, here in point number five, he said that they had done things more than yani what the other disbelievers had done for mountains. They wounded the Prophet and they actually made every effort to try to kill him. And they had also mutilated those who were killed from amongst the Muslims. They mutilated their bodies, even though they were from their relatives. They were yani their cousins or near relatives, and they mutilated them on the battlefield. Uh, uh, and then point number six, that Allah subhanahu wa revealed on that occasion, even after all that they had did, He revealed to the Prophet wasallam that you don't have any decision in the matter, any that it's with Allah. And point number seven, the thing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how you give them that perhaps, and you have no decision in the matter, perhaps Allah will turn to them, accepting their repentance, uh, meaning that he would guide them to Islam and they would be saved from the punishment or he may punish them and because they were mushriks and they were evil he may punish them justly if he wills but in fact Allah uh, accepted their repentance and they believed and entered Islam and number eight uh, Al-Qunud Sinnawazil Ya'ani the legislation of Al-Qunud the supplication of Qunud at the time of disaster or catastrophe and the Shaykh makes a lengthy commentary Ya'ani Shaykh Muhammad but يعني, there's no time to discuss it. In any case, this indeed some of what he said that this is a set issue of Qunud and uh, that he says that it has been legislated not only in the Fajr prayer but in every prayer it's permissible to do so and this is as has been reported in the hadith of Abu ibn Abbas narrated by Imam Ahmed and others except that the scholars made an exception that the Qunud should not be used at the time of disaster which is يعني, the natural disaster or calamity from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, at Ta'un يعني, uh, this is um, Ta'un is the sickness that spreads 
that at this time that community should not be made because this plague, whoever is subjected to it within that place, if they die in that condition, they die as a shaheed. So we shouldn't supplicate that it be removed and need to and prevent their dying as shaheed. Uh, I mean, this is some of what he said, but time doesn't mean it. Point number nine is that the mentioning of the names of those who are supplicated again, mentioning their names and the names of their fathers. And the Prophet mentioned in some of the narrations, he said that he mentioned those who he was supplicating against, making the commute against, by, them, by their name and even the names of their fathers. And this is something that is permissible. It's permissible. However, point number 10 is the curse of Allah, and that, that is the issue where there is a point and it needs clarification. The curse of Allah on specific people in the commute. Here the Sheikh says that if the author, yani Imam Muhammad ibn Duhar, means that this actually happened, that the Prophet cursed the people specifically in the Qunut, then naam, that's so it did happen. However, if he means that it is legislated and permissible to do so, to curse people specifically in the Qunut, then see another. And he said, see another, and this is something that is questionable. And this is a polite way of disagreeing with someone that we should respect by using such an expression that this is something yeah, I mean, questionable, it requires some further inspection because in other hadith the Prophet has been specifically prohibited or he himself specifically prohibited cursing specific people, yeah, I mean, cursing someone specifically. And then uh, he says in point number 11, the incident or the circumstance of the story surrounding the revelation of the ayat and warn the nearest of relatives and what happened on that particular occasion how the Prophet called them called the Quraysh together and he mentioned them in generally as a tribe and then he mentioned specifically those who were nearest to him by name individually so that no one would think that their relation to him would benefit them in any way and then he says that the seriousness of the Prophet in this matter and calling them when Allah ordered him to warn his tribe, his people and his near relatives he was very serious about the matter to the extent that some people attributed to him that he was Najroom, that he was crazy. And likewise it may be uh, for people after that time who others were very serious about the matters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes them seriously. And for us today the matter of da'wah, being very, very serious in da'wah, those who are very serious about calling to Allah and warning people against shirk and bid'ah and sin and disobedience to Allah, perhaps people sometimes might consider them to be insane. And the last point, the Shaykh says, point number 12, uh, he's saying, and he's saying that the Prophet brought them to those who are far relatives as those, as well as those who are near relatives that I cannot suffice you in any way or protect you in any way from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until he said, even Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that I cannot suffice you in any way. He said that if the Prophet, Muhammad who is the master and the leader of all of the messengers and prophets, if he specifically and clearly stated his position as such, that he cannot help in any way. And he was talking to the leader of the women of this world, and his daughter Fatima anha, and we believe, if someone believes that he doesn't speak anything except the truth, and if he said that very, very clearly, and he is the leader of the messengers, and she is the leader of, of the women of humanity, and we know that he doesn't speak anything of the truth except the truth, then if we look at the condition or the heart of the people of status and power and position today, and in the leaders of the nation and the people of power today. He was the leader and the master of humanity. Look at the people of today, if we consider how they think that they have power to help or to protect uh, someone or to benefit anyone, 
لم يكن تبين له فرق التوحيد وغرضة الدين and he had a shape in the expression that all of the other copies of Kitab Tawheed didn't use but perhaps يعني, his understanding of it it may be يعني, more closer to the correct meaning he said as we examine these things then we will see how the people have abandoned Tawheed and we will see how strange is the deen of Allah subhanahu in the world today if we consider how the Prophet took this stand being, he being who he was uh, and talking to him, he was talking to a man that he doesn't speak except the truth and he was very, very clear that he doesn't have any power or any authority or ability to help anyone then that in contrast to the leaders and people of power today who stand forth in front of the people as though they have some power to help it makes us to know how the people have abandoned Tawheed and how strange is Islam in the world today in the other narration of Kitab Tawheed in the wording is Tabayyina Lahu At-Tawheed we don't talk which means it will become clear to us a Tawheed and the strangeness of the being and here perhaps the meaning would be that if we look at the Prophet Tawheed will become clear to us it will become clear to us whereas if we look at the other people we will see that they have abandoned a Tawheed and we will see how strange is an Islam in the world today uh, just quickly in the film before the Yakama explain the verse with their tribute as partners to Allah, those who created nothing. And we've discussed this verse and the meaning that it contains showing the impossibility of associating or declaring something as an equal to Allah while He is the Creator and they are created and He has power everything and they have power over nothing, not even to help themselves. What was the occasion in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed? The matter is not for your decision. It should be the matter, M-A-T-E-R. Yeah, what was the occasion in which this ayah was revealed? It was revealed in reference to the battle of Rahud when the people had attacked the Prophet and wounded him. And in some narrations, it was revealed on the occasion when he was uh, declaring the face of Allah on the enemies, the leaders of the Quraysh. And in the Qunut of Sajjah in the last Rakah. What is the meaning of these words? Uh, the matter is not for your decision. And what is the meaning of these words? But the Prophet and likewise no one less than him has any authority in what will happen with Allah's creatures in the next life. Allah is the only one who has control over that. And likewise, guidance in this world, it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's the only one who can give the tawfiq, He has the tawfiq to make a person actually to accept or not. He's the only one who knows what will be the end of someone's life in this world and their destination in the next life. What is the meaning of Allah, the curse of Allah or of the people? What is the meaning of the curse if Allah curses someone or the people curse someone? Naam. The curse, if Allah curses someone, it means that Allah removes them far from His mercy. If the people curse someone, it may mean using abrasive or harsh language, or it may mean that they supplicate against that person that Allah's curse be upon them, meaning that they be far removed from the mercy of Allah. What is the meaning of Sani Allah liman Hamada and Rabbana Lakal Ham? The meaning of Sani Allah liman Hamada, it means Allah listens to him, praises him, literally, and the understanding of it is that Allah hears and responds to those who praise him or who call on him by praising him he responds to them and accepts their supplication and Rabbana Lakal Hamd means that our Lord used the praise meaning that he is the one who is worthy of praise and it means praising him while having love for him and honor and respecting him A'udhu Billahi Minash Be 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك الفيض بالله الله بفيض فيك بالسفتنس انفجرني We seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. <coughs> We'd like to continue this evening uh, in this lecture number 14 on Kitab al-Tawheed al-Ladhi huwa haqqallah ala al-Adeed the book of Tawheed Tawheed being the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the servants, his slaves and its explanation Uh, the explanation that we have been following Al-Jadid in the Sharh Kitab Al-Tawheed by Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Aziz Al-Qara'awi Hafizahullah and Allah protect and preserve him. In the chapter that we have reached it is entitled Bad Qawlullah Ta'ala Ayushrikuna Ma La Yakhluku Shay'an وهم مخلقون ولا يستطيعون لهم نصرا ولا انفسهم ينصرون. This chapter is entitled or the title of it comes from the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'raf verses 191 and 192 أيشركون ما لا يخلق شيئا This is a question, istitham, the tawbih. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking a question or making a statement in question form showing rejection of the idea that the people should worship, should associate in worship something along with them. And which we call they make shirk or association with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala between Allah and that which does not create anything. Ma la yakhluku shay'a Something or someone that doesn't create anything. And not only it doesn't create, it doesn't have the ability to create. It doesn't have the ability to create. Do you associate or make something equal in worship? Worshiping along with Allah something that is not like Allah. It doesn't create while He is the Creator. Ma la yakhluku shay'a وهم يخلقون. Not only it doesn't and cannot create anything, it doesn't have the ability to create, but also 
that which they are worshipping and associating as equal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala offering worship to that thing, it is something which itself is created. Something that has been brought into existence by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then has been made as an equal with Him in that worship which is the exclusive word of Allah alone is given to something other than Allah. Ayyushrikuna ma ma yakhluku shay'a wa hum yukhlaqoon then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues in the ayat وَلَا يَسْتَفِعُونَ لَهُمْ نَفْرًا and not only that but even though that thing doesn't create and it itself has been created it doesn't even have the ability to have or support those who are worshipping it it doesn't have the ability to help them or to support them وَلَا أَنْفُسَهُمْ يَنْفُرُونَ even the gods that they are worshipping the idols that they have set up as equals to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only they cannot help them, but the idols, the gods, the false gods that they have worshipped, or those who they have turned to, instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can't even help themselves. And if somebody was to transgress on those who they are worshipping beside Allah, they cannot even help themselves. And this is the, the extent to which those or those things which are being worshipped beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are without any ability. They are incapable of doing anything. Not only they cannot help others who are calling on them or worshipping them, but they cannot even help themselves. So, the Sheikh says, concerning this ayat, Sheikh Muhammad al-Qara'awi, Hafizullah, Allah protect and preserve him, he says that the meaning of this ayat is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rejecting in this noble verse of the Qur'an, or he is يعني يثيرون بمشرق تتيجم في المنطقات and others who are like them he is rejecting their worship of that which is created rejecting their worship of created beings which are not able to bring anything into existence while they are themselves in fact created beings that have been brought from non-existence into existence by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala those things which are being worshipped are not able to help or to support those who are worshipping them. If they had requested from them to give them help, they couldn't help them. Not only that, worse than that, they are not able to help themselves if anyone has transgressed against them. And this is the extreme, or the extent to which they are incapable, weak, and unable. From this ayah, the Sheikh mentions two points in the Ayatim. The first of them is clarification of the ignorance of the Mishwakeen. And this ayah is a proof, is a clear indication of the jahl, the ignorance of those who worship anything as an equal or other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or for any kind of worship to other than Allah. The second of them is confirmation or affirmation of the inability and the weakness of those things that are worshipped beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fact that they are not justified in being worshipped yeah, I mean the fact that they are incapable and unable is a proof that it is not legitimate to worship them and this is by rational proof or sound reasoning or common sense and here the shaykh is pointing to the fact that the evidences in the Qur'an for Tawheed are different types from amongst them the most well-known and common views are the evidences of Maqliya Al-Adillah and Maqliya that is that which has been transmitted in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah but likewise there are also there is also Al-Adillah and Sutriya 
the master says that in the nature of the human being, by nature, we can recognize certain things and likewise al-adillah by using their reasoning or their intellect. They can reason and by logic determine and detect some proofs for the uh, right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be worshipped alone and the rejection of the worship of other than him. And here, this is a rational proof from the text of Qur'an and some of the scholars of the people of Sunnah says that the rational proofs, the logical proofs from the Qur'an and Sunnah are sufficient and there is no need to use rational proofs outside of the Qur'an. Then we don't have to use our intellect to come up with arguments and proofs in the matters of deen, but the rational proofs that are contained in the Qur'an are sufficient. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this argument that how can we worship something as an equal to him something that doesn't create while well, he is the creator and that thing is itself created and if you were to request anything somebody doesn't have the ability to answer your request in fact it cannot even help itself and how can we make it as equal with Allah this is the rational proof from the text of Quran and the rational proof from the Quran are many here the Shaykh says the relationship between this ayah and the chapter heading and the worship for the associating with Allah that which does not create and is itself created and has no ability to help those who call on it or help itself. The relationship between this ayat and the chapter heading is that this ayat negates the uh, benefit from any of those things which are worshipped instead of Allah. That there is no benefit from them. And this, we may also understand from this that if they cannot benefit anyone, then it is also a proof of the falsehood of their worship and the rejection of their worship. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they cannot help anyone or support anyone is a proof that the worship of them is false and to be rejected. And this includes everyone or everything that the people turn to or give themselves over to other than Allah, whether those who are dead in the grave, free stones or otherwise. Everything that the people have turned towards, seeking help, seeking benefit or protection from some harm other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me tell you the relationship between this ayat and Tawheed, and in the book itself, is that this ayat indicates that turning towards anyone or anything other than Allah, seeking benefit, or to protect them from some harm, it is shirk. And turning to other than Allah for benefit or protection from harm is shirk, because the only one who has the ability to protect or to prevent one from harm is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, turning to other than him is making something as an equal to him that shirk is the relationship between this ayat and the subject of the tawheed. He makes a note here that in this ayat, the pronoun or the mirror, the mirror al-aqil, the pronoun that's used in Arabic for those who have sinned, for, I mean for the human beings as opposed to uh, inanimate things. But this pronoun has been used here in more than one place. For example, in reference to those who worship Allah, Allah he says, وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ هُمْ And هُمْ is used for the aqil or those who have sinned, as opposed to inanimate beings. And uh, even though some of the things which they worship other than Allah are inanimate, stones, that which is created from stone or wood or otherwise, and the use of the, the near al-aqil that is normally used for human beings that have sense or intellect, it is in accordance with the belief of the aqidah of the pagans that those things, those inanimate things which they worship actually, that they have some sense or some intellect. And in fact, of course, they don't.
Because the one who does all of this, that is from Allah, because Allah, Rabbukum, your Lord, Lahul Mulk, he is the one who controls everything, who controls the kingdom, he is the owner, the creator, and the one who has the absolute power to do whatever he wills. And then he compares that to those who call on besides Allah, who don't even control the fitmiya, the mundane, the fine mundane that surrounds the base stone. Uh, here in the Sheikh says concerning this ayah that Allah comes out and points it here that he calls the night to enter or to merge into the day and the day to merge into the night and one of them to become elongated or to be longer in its time and one to be shortened in its time and all of this is in accordance with the time cycles that, they, that have been described for them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the decree of Allah means the cycle of the sun and the cycle of the moon and he is the one who has projected the sun and the moon both of these lights from which much benefit is given to humanity that the human beings get much benefit from both these lights the sun and the moon and all of this is controlled by Al-Qadr the one who has power over everything he is the one who has the right to Ar-Rubudiyah and Ar-Uluhiyah and he is the one who deserves to be recognized as the sole Lord and Creator and Controller of everything and therefore the one who deserves to be worshipped alone how could it not be so that he is the sole Lord and the only one that should be worshipped while he is the owner and controller of everything in the creation and everything that is worshipped besides him doesn't even control the time membrane surrounding the day stone and they don't hear the supplication of those who call on them even if they were to hear it if they were to hear it they wouldn't answer them even more than that on the day of resurrection they would deny and reject the worship of those who worship them and this is unknown in terms of such except the one who informs you based on knowledge and who informs you faithfully, truthfully and there is none like this, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who makes us know the end of all affairs and what will be the end of everything from this ayah the shaykh mentions four benefits the first of them is that the sun travels in an orbit and that it is not stationary it is not a stationary object that doesn't move but in fact it has a path that it travels on in the universe number two that the idols the asman that the pagans worship don't have the ability to give any benefits nor to prevent any harm from those who worship them not in this world nor in the next life those idols that have been worshipped have no ability to give benefit nor to prevent harm from those who worship them in this world nor in the next life and number three that a shirk or associating or worshipping something along with Allah or in place of Allah or making something as an equal to Allah it will be the cause of enmity between those who worshipped the idols and the false idols that they worship there will be enmity between them and the and finally also 
from this ayat we understand that knowledge should be taken from its proper sources and from those who know. And of course, the all-knowing Al-Alim is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The relationship of this ayat to the chapter heading is that uh, any benefit or any power or ability from those that worship besides Allah. And this ayah proves that those who worship besides Allah cannot offer any benefit nor do they have any power or ability. And the relationship between this ayah and the topic of Tawheed is that this ayah indicates that supplicating other than Allah is shirk because Allah is the only one who should be called upon. Therefore, whoever calls upon other than him is associated with or made something equal to him. This is shirk and the relation of Tawheed. <clears throat> the third evidence that the Shaykh mentions, the third evidence as well as the fourth evidence, a hadith, and also the fifth evidence, these hadith, a hadith that show that no one has any power or control over the affairs of the universe or any say in what happens in this universe other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not even those who are nearest to Allah not even the most beloved to Allah and the best of creation that is the Messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentions what is sahih and honest and is sahih meaning in al-Bukhari or Muslim and here actually this hadith has been mentioned in both al-Bukhari and Muslim but in Bukhari it was mentioned ta'alifan or mu'allakan it was mentioned and without a complete ismad, and the Imam al-Bukhari mentioned it without mentioning the complete ismad from his side. And he didn't mention some of the narratives from his shaykh, going back so that the ismad is not complete. However, it was mentioned by Imam Muslim with a complete ismad and mawsul, or mawsulan. He connected the chain with an authentic hadith. In the Sahih, reported that on the authority of Anis, رضي الله عنه قال, شجع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم أحد وقصرت رباعيته that on the day of Ahad the day of the battle of Ahad that battle which took place near the mountain the mountain Jabal Ahad which is outside of the city of Rakaq the city of Medina and that battle became known after the name of that mountain on the day of Yawm Ahad the day of the battle of Ahad which was in the third year of the Hijrah after the Muslims had defeated the pagans and the pagans came back again to yani, confront the Muslims on that day uh, it happened that the Muslims were winning the battle but however some of those who the Prophet had placed on a small mountain near Uhud the archers to protect the back of the Muslims and they thought that the battle was won they came down from the mountain to share in the booty, the war, booty and on that occasion Khalid and Wali and some of the horsemen of the pagans came around the back of the Muslims so at that point the Muslims were surrounded by the pagans who were leading going back to Mecca in front of them and the, those who were behind them behind them and on that occasion the Prophet وسلم, he was يعني, wounded Yom al-Uhad on the day of Yom al-Uhad Kufirat Rubaiyatuhu since one of his teeth was broken and in the narration of Ayman Muslim he said Kufaru Rubaiyatuhu وَأَدْمَوْ رَسِهَهُ that they broke one of his teeth and they caused his face to bleed 
on that, on that occasion, it's mentioned by the narrator, Saqa'a, when the Messenger of Allah said, كَيْفَ يُفْلِحُ قَوْمٌ شَجُّ مَدِيَّهُمْ How can people be successful? Meaning, successful in the next life. How will they be successful? How will they look at paradise? How will they escape from the punishment of Allah? A people who have wounded their own prophet, who attacked their own, the prophet who has been sent to them to call them to the worship of Allah and to protect them from the hellfire, to save them from hellfire. How can they be saved? How can they be successful when they have wounded the prophet who has been sent to them? On that occasion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse, فَمَذَلَتْ لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْعَمْرِ شَيْءٌ أَوْ يَتُوبَ عَلَيْهِمْ أَوْ يَعَذِّبَهُمْ فَإِنَّهُمْ ظَالِمُونَ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْعَمْرِ شَيْءٌ to the Prophet that لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْعَمْرِ شَيْءٌ He doesn't have any control over the matter. He's not for you to decide. لَيْسَ لَكَ meaning the Prophet did not have any decision or any power in this matter. Yani the Prophet وسلم, when he was wounded by them after calling them to Allah to the worship of Allah to save them from hellfire, he said, how can these people be saved? How can they be successful? How can they enter the paradise? But the matter of who enters paradise or not is with Allah. Not even the Messiah of Allah has any right in this matter. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْعَمْرِ شَيْءٍ He didn't have anything to say in the matter. Perhaps Allah may repent, He may turn to them in repentance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might, even after that, He might accept their repentance. He might turn back to them and guide them to Islam. Which in fact would happen. Allah may punish them if He wills. فَإِنَّهُمْ ظَالِمُونَ So indeed, they are oppressors, wrongdoers, pagans. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, He might turn to them and accept their repentance and guide them to Islam and save them. They may be saved if Allah wills, but Allah wills and punish them justly for indeed they are ba'lamun yishlukun. And this is, uh, this ayat, لَيْسَ لَكْ مِنَا أَمْرِ شَيْنْ is revealed, was revealed on this occasion in the revelation of Surah Al-Imam chapter 3, verse 128. Uh, to remind and to inform everyone who may come after the best of humanity, the Muslim Allah sallallahu alayhi wa that if he doesn't have any control or any decision in the matter of who would be saved and who would be punished, then all of the things after him are left in him. For sure, they have no power in the matter of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does with his creatures. He has the total control over this matter. Here the Shaykh said during this hadith is that Anif ibn Malik radiallahu anhu informed us that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was wounded in his head or in his face as a Mishid Jami, a wound in one's head, specifically on the face, he was wounded and blood flowed from his face. And that was in Hazrat Uhud, the battle of Uhud, and one of his teeth was broken. So he considered it that they would become Muslims of the pagan if after such actions he considered that it was perfect and that there was no way that they would accept Islam. Therefore he said that Ghani. There was no way for them to be saved. How could they be saved? How would they be saved from the punishment? He thought it was far-fetched. And this was because of their transgressing the bounds. And yani, the way that they had treated him and the way that they acted while he was trying to save them. On that occasion, Allah subhanahu wa revealed this verse, that you didn't have any control in the matter at all. Making clear the way that the Muslim should travel and the thought and the consciousness and the thinking that we should have in such matters that the control of the matter, the end, the destination of everything and everyone in this world is with Allah alone that perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might accept the tawbah 
and turn to those Mishnikim and allow them to enter Islam and be saved, or perhaps even punish them. In any case, the affair is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the exclusion of everyone other than Him. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned five things. The first of them is that the Prophet, the Anbiya, they also are subjected to sickness and pain and suffering as a confirmation of their humanity, that they are only human beings. That they are only human beings. Number two, that the Prophet don't have any power in the matter except in the thing that Allah subhanahu has given them power over. That means that they don't have any control in any matter, even the prophets and messengers, except for Allah subhanahu has allowed for them. So how will it be the condition of those who are left from them? That means how can, what will be then the status of those who are left from the prophets? Obviously if the prophets don't have any power in the matter, and those who are left from them have any less power. Number three, that no one knows the end of yani, the deeds that anyone would die on. Khawatim al-Amal, nobody knows what would be the final deeds of anyone except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the only one who knows. That's why he said you don't have any control in the matter. Therefore, you should not use judgment of anyone while they are living. Perhaps those people in the Islam, Allah may accept from them, they might, yeah, I mean, die on Tawheed. Uh, so we should be careful to judge people while they are living. Perhaps Allah may guide them, He may accept from them. Nobody knows the end of anyone's deeds except Allah subhanahu wa Number four, that a tawbah, repentance, true sincere repentance, removed whatever was before it. And whatever the people did before repentance, it would be removed. Even in the case of those who did shirk and those who harmed the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and other, whatever it may be, however, removes or erases whatever was before. And number five, the last thing mentioned is that a zulm, it is the cause or the reason for the punishment being punished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in this verse, or he may punish them, or the ayyibahum fa'innahum zalimun, because of their zulm, oppression or wrongdoing or transgressing the limits. Or perhaps, I mean, more appropriately we could say that here zulm, it is general, but more specifically it refers to a shirk. That the, the biggest cause of punishment, it is a shirk. And also, general, generally, a zulm, or transgression around them, is a cause of punishment if Allah doesn't forgive one. With shirk, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't forgive if a person doesn't repent before dying. The relationship of this ayah to the chapter under discussion where they worship or associate something along with Allah that doesn't create and is itself created and has no ability to help, nor can it help itself. The relationship, uh, here to the chapter heading is that uh, the prophets or the best of humanity, the most righteous of humanity, that they don't have any control over benefits, no harm. So what about those who are left in them? And with the Prophet, here the Prophet of Allah, وسلم, he doesn't have any power over the matter to give any benefit or to cause any harm, then what about those who are left? The relationship here between um, this hadith and the ayah mentioned in it, uh, to the subject of the Tawheed is that this ayah containing this hadith 
it is a proof that achieving any benefit or preventing any harm, it is from the exclusive action of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no one can do so, no one can give any benefit or cause harm or prevent harm except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, requesting it, requesting benefit or requesting anyone to protect one from harm other than Allah, then it is shirk. Because it should only benefit and harm, and the protection from harm and the requesting of benefit should only be requested from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, requesting from other than Him, it is shirk. The fourth evidence the Shaykh mentioned is similar to the previous hadith. Here he mentions two narrations. وَفِيهِ مِنْ فِي الصَّحِيحِ The previous hadith he said, وَفِي الصَّحِيحِ مِنْ فِي الصَّحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ وَمُسْلِمْ And here he says, وَفِيهِ مِنْ And the authentic narrations. And here this hadith has been recorded by Al-Bukhari. And Ibn Umar, رضي الله عنهما, on the authority of Abdul Ibn Umar, and Allah Bukhari Ibn Umar, and he said, رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, يقول إذا رفع رأسه من الرقوع, الرقعة الأخيرة من الفجر اللهم العن فلانا وفلانا that he said he heard the Muslim Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم when he used to wait he said أقصم ركوع from down in the last رقعة of the dawn first رقعة الفجر he heard him saying oh Allah curse so and so and so and so اللهم العن فلانا وفلانا and this he said was after بعدما يقول صلى الله عليه وسلم حمد ربنا ولك الحمد this was after يعني he said these words صلى الله عليه وسلم حمد Allah listens Allah hears the response of those who praise him ربنا ولك الحمد oh Lord for you is the praise after saying that when he rose up from Ruku after saying صلى الله عليه وسلم حمد and after saying ربنا ولك الحمد then he asked for the curse of Allah upon such and such and so and so person and in the following narration of that hadith the name of those who he was referring to are mentioned specifically and he says here that on this occasion and Abdul Ibn Umar says on this occasion after the Prophet asked for Allah's curse upon such and such and so and so فَأَنْزَلَ اللَّهِ when Allah revealed this verse لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٌ that you don't have any decision in the matter you don't have any control in the matter that we should ask for the curse of Allah on such and such and so and so the matter is with Allah and those who were spoken they were the enemies the chiefs of the pagans the enemies of Islam and the enemies of the Prophet and he was asking Allah to curse upon them and Allah'an Allah'an it means to ask for that someone be far removed from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah'an it means astar our ibad and rahmatillah that someone be pushed away or repulsed or removed from the mercy of Allah. Uh, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses someone, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes them. The curse of Allah means that Allah removes them from His mercy. And the curse, the la'an from the human being, it means saying evil words against someone or supplicating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, supplicating Allah that Allah removes them from His mercy. And here, the curse from the Prophet from cursing them, it means, not using bad language, it means that he asks that that person be far removed from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah said, لَيْسَ لَكَ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ شَيْءٍ You don't have any control over the matter. And in another narration of this hadith, uh, it is reported, يَدْعُوا that the Prophet was supplicating, 
يدعو على الصفوان الأمية يدعوه ومنشن مقرية حديث الصوم صوم فتشفت يدعوه الصفوان الأمية والسهير ابن عمر أنا الحارف ابن حشان أنا دارك ليشن مهيو صفوان جنسا أسكين الله سبحانه وتعالى فنزلت ليس لك من الأمر شيء بس يمكن هذا الكنترول أو المارك يعني ورا الله بعد الرسالين في بعض أسيوه إنهم هذا الكنترول over that matter. And here also some of the scholars said concerning the word mentioned in the Salat that Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that Allah listens to one who praises him it means that Allah answers those who praise him. Allah responds to them and he accepts their supplication. Rabbana lak alhamd and alhamd the scholars said alhamd is the opposite of al-zamah yani praise is the opposite of blaming someone and the reality of alhamd here it means praising the one who deserves to be praised while having love for that one and respect and honor yani praising Rabbana lak alhamd it means praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who deserves to be praised while also having al-mahabba love for Allah and al-ijlal yani respect and honor or glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Uh, the Shaykh says concerning this hadith, concerning the hadith is here that Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنه informs us here that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم in this way he set up from Ba'an or Ruku in the last Raqqa of the dawn said the prayer after saying Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rabbana lak alhamd he was cursing some of the leaders of the Mishwakeen and asking that Allah curse be upon the means that they be removed from the mercy of Allah due to their opposing Islam and opposing the Muslims. And perhaps sometimes he used to mention their names and the specific names of the people as mentioned in the second narration and that occasion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse that you have no control over the matter. And he has a matter of what he does with his servants. Allah does what he will, he may pardon and forgive them if he will, or he will punish them as they deserve to be punished if he will, Allah does what he will. Uh, so here, Allah revealed this verse prohibiting the Prophet from doing so. And that was because of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which Allah knows everything even before it happens. He knew that these people were going to enter Islam and that they would, yani, uh, they would act properly as Muslims, yani, that they would enter Islam and be good Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that even while they were praying and while they were opposing, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, therefore Allah prohibited him from doing so. This is also a lesson for all people uh, that we shouldn't meet, and we shouldn't curse people specifically, but as we mentioned in some previous talk, that the curse of Allah may be general, and line Allah is kafirin, the curse of Allah and the disbelievers on the munafikin or the mishwakin in general, but not specific people while they are living, because Allah only knows which of those people may enter Islam, who we might accept from them their repentance, and accept their Islam and they might die as Muslims. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions four things. The first of them is that the Imam should combine the two things, a tasmiyah and a tahmeel. That he should combine the two things, the magic and the a tasmiyah, sallallahu Allah wa man hamida, Allah listening to praise him, wa tahmeel, rabbana wa laka alhamd, and all our Lord for you is the praise. These two things are both said by the Imam. And this is the Qumasyah, which we discussed in the Ahkam previously. Number two, that it is legislated القنود to recite the قنود or to make قنود in the Fajr prayer if there is a need for it not only in the Fajr prayer but also in any of the prayers it is legislated as recorded in other hadith on this occasion the Prophet was making the قنود in the Fajr prayer for this reason some of that scholars 
uh, held that it is legislated to make Khmer under the federal prayer, and in fact, the Khmer may make any prayer wherever there is a need. Number three, he says the confirmation or affirmation that the Quran is revealed, that the Quran has been sent down, and that it is not created. You know what I mean? The fact that in this uh, hadith it is mentioned that on that particular occasion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this particular ayah, this is the proof that the Quran has been revealed that it has been sent down. Therefore, it is the speech of Allah, and the speech of Allah is from his syntax, his characteristics, and the characteristics of Allah are not created. Therefore, the scholar will soon said, Al Quran Kalam Allah. The Quran is the speech of Allah, Allah is not It is not created. So, this is the confirmation that the Quran is revealed. It is revealed from Allah, it is the speech of Allah, and therefore, it is not created. Number four, the last thing he says here is clarification that the prophets, the Anbiya, do not have any control over benefit or harm, and that they do not know the unseen. And even the prophets don't know the unseen. What about those who are less than them? People are going to soothsayers or fortune tellers asking about the future. And even the prophets of Allah, the prophets and messengers whom revelation was given to, they don't know the future. Only Allah knows the future. The relationship of the ayah contained in this Hadith is that this ayah, Laysa Lakam Ila Amri Shay, it is an indication that the prophets, while they are the best of humanity, the best of people, that they don't control any benefit or any harm, so how about what about those who are left in them? And the relationship of this ayah contained in this hadith to the chapter to the book of Tawheed is that it indicates that achieving any benefit or preventing any harm because of the actions that are exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore seeking benefit or seeking protection from harm from other than Allah it is shirk and it is making something as an equal or partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in negation of the tawheed then we make the note here that instead of has been confirmed that the three people who are mentioned in this hadith that they are Safran ibn Umayyah, Al-Harith ibn Hisham and Suhail ibn Amr that all three of them, radiallahu anhum ajma'in, became Muslim and died in Islam. This was in the knowledge, the previous knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The last proof that the Shaykh mentioned is Wafihi, yani, Fihi, meaning in the Sahih, also, and he has meaning in Al-Bukhari, in the Sahih Al-Bukhari, Wafihi, an Abi Huraira, radiallahu anhu, qar. It is also mentioned in the Sahih Al-Bukhari, on the side of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, that he said, قام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين انزل عليه وانذر اشيرتك الاقربين. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stood up, came with the people at the time when this verse was revealed to him. حين انزل عليه when it was revealed to him and warned your nearest relatives or your child, your kinsmen, اشيرتك يعني those who are the children of your father or those from amongst your child. وَالْأَقْرَبِينَ يعني those who want your child or the children of your father those who are near to you أَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ the nearest of relatives to you warn them يعني let them know and put fear into them about this matter يعني the matter of fear Allah's wrath and the punishment of Allah that no one can protect you from it no one has power to protect you from the wrath of Allah this is a matter that is exclusive with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to warn his people, the nearest of his relatives, Saqaf, then he said, Ya Nashar Quraysh, Al-Kalimatan Nahwaha, then he said, all people of Quraysh, and that's the general group of his people, his tribe of Quraysh, or what he said, Ishtaru and Fusakun, by yourselves, by your souls, 
purchase your soul from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do that which would protect you, which would save you from the punishment of Allah in the Yani, obey Allah, worship Allah alone, establish a tawheed in order to save your soul. Ishtaru and putakum. Purchase yourself. And you save yourself from the punishment of Allah by a ta'a, obedience, and a tawheed and a worship. La ogani ankum min Allah shaya. That I am not able to protect you from Allah in any way whatsoever. I am not able to suffice you, to help you. 